Blog Talk Radio. Right now. 
You've reached the voicemail of Larry Dorman, Council for Public Affairs. Please leave your name, number, and a brief message, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yeah, hi, Larry. You're supposed to pick up. Uh, this is Leo. Uh, give us a call at 646-915-9505 when you can. Okay? Thanks. Spot where he can't accept the call. Maybe he's not doesn't feel service. Okay, so let me just finish this. Um, Grupo Mexico had been supported by the Mexican government in the past years, and it persecuted union activists and workers in declaring the strikes illegal and suppressing them with troops imprisoning union leaders, and failing to pursue justice in the murder of four union members. In the face of this repression, Gomez made the difficult decision to leave Mexico and go to Vancouver, Canada, where he has continued to serve as Secretary General of Los Mineros and has waged an eight-year effort to win justice for his union and lift the standards of Mexican workers. He's a very brave man. I'm sure he left because he was afraid he and his family would well, be, yeah, be no, in danger. Yeah, he was in exile. In 2011, the AFL-CIO awarded Gomez the George Meany Lane Kirkland Human Rights Award for his tireless defense of the aspiration of Mexican workers to higher living standards, to democratize labor unions, and to promote the rule of law and, better, and a better future for their country. Gomez was unable to accept the award in person or travel internationally to build support for Los Mineros due to the outstanding extradition request by the Mexican government and an Interpol red notice that even Interpol recognized as being politically motivated. However, during his Canadian exile, Gomez continued to negotiate labor agreements and organized new websites with the help of trade union allies around the world, particularly the United Steelworkers, so they really supported him. According to the United Steelworkers President, Leo W. Gerard, Los Mineros has been targeted for winning, had been targeted for winning the highest wage increase of any workers in Mexico and for organizing thousands of new members in a democratic labor organization as well as denouncing corruption and industrial homicide in the mining industry. Gomez is reportedly already planning his return to Mexico. With the conclusion of the criminal case wrongly orchestrated by Grupo Mexico, representatives from the government and Grupo Mexico must come back to the table and respectfully negotiate with Los Mineros Union for an end to existing labor disputes and the development of the industry in a manner that respects the rights of workers to collectively bargain and provides workers and their families with living wages and benefits. Well, that's wonderful, and I, I hope that does work. Um, yeah. That's terrific. And yeah. that, that's really good news that um, that's happened for him, because he was really afraid. You know, with those, um, well, how they had, yeah, 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 good reason. Oh, yeah, those yeah. four union members were killed. Yeah, I know. Anyway, um, just, just so you remember, people, you know, people are putting their lives on the line every day for unions and uh, have been. 
there was an interesting thing came up. Uh, I posted this uh, recently here, and uh, kind of kind of says something. Now back in uh, Anything over there? He's not here yet. Okay. I'm kind of waiting for Larry. I mean, he must have gotten tied up in something because he, uh, he told me to call him like five after eight. Um, let's see. Okay, here's something. How come you, okay. you know, I, I just wanted to say happy Labor Day. Somebody posted this here for me. And it was like, how come you don't work 14 hours a, week, a day? Your great-great-grandparents did. How come you'd only work the eight-hour day? Four guys got hanged fighting for the eight-hour day for you. Stud circles said that. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. Uh, on this blog, they also mentioned that Burger King's the latest Whopper, tax inversion, winners and losers of the week. In their regular feature, they take a look at winners and losers of the week and the struggle for the rights of working families. The winners will be persons or organizations that go above and beyond to expand or protect the rights of working families, while the losers will be whoever went above and beyond to limit or deny those rights. The winners, market basket employees for standing up along with devoted customers after worker-friendly CEO Arthur T. Demolas was ousted and helping build a public outcry that led to Demolas, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Demolas becoming the company's top shareholder. So the workers really liked him because I guess he was a fair employer and he supported workers' rights and uh, he was a good CEO. The runner-up is California workers. After the legislature passed a bill that would provide paid sick days for more than 6.5 million California workers. The loser, Burger King, for seeking to avoid paying its fair share of taxes in an inversion scheme. And what that is is that Burger King bought a small company, I believe, in... I want to say Canada, and move their headquarters there in order to pay less taxes. And the runner-up is FedEx. After a court ruled that its employee misclassification policies were illegal. So they were probably classifying people, I don't know, maybe to pay them less. I don't really know what the background on that was. Do you, Leo? I'm on sorry, the FedEx? A runner-up for the loser of the week is FedEx. After a court ruled that its employee misclassification policies were illegal, and I'm just guessing that maybe the classification policies were done to maybe pay people less money or deny them some kind of benefit. I don't know why else they would do that. I got an article here on uh, the Koch brothers, um, uh, and uh, it says uh, the Koch brothers are shaping politics in 2014 elections. Associated Press, Koch brothers are reshaping politics. From an Associated Press primer on the Koch brothers and their role in politics, Charles and David Koch are 78 and 74 years old and are billionaire brothers who help create a broad network of nonprofit groups 
that control hundreds of millions of dollars flowing into politics. Through their deep pockets, they are reshaping uh, politics with an uncompromising agenda, reducing regulation, advancing libertarian ideas, promoting free market Republican candidates, and ousting Democrats. Top GOP candidates cite uh, Koch uh, Network for their success. Right. Three Republican Senate candidates credited the Koch brothers' political network for catapulting them forward in their political races, according to an audio recording that was obtained by the nation and the undercurrent. The Huffington Post reported that uh, Sen- Senators uh, Joni Ernst, Republican of uh, Indiana, uh, Representative Tom Cotton, and Representative Cory Gardner of Colorado, a Republican, of course, uh, he preys on the political network built by the conservative billionaires for propelling them forward. Um, during their speeches, both Cotton and Ernst noted that this was actually the second Koch brothers' retreat they had attended. Uh, last year, the two had um, gone to the New Mexico event as politicians of less stature. The Koch network was since helped usher them to the doorsteps of the United States Senate. He said, I was not known at the time, Ernst said, and a little-known state senator from a very rural part of Iowa, known uh, through my National Guard service in some circles in Iowa, but the exposure to this group and to this network and the opportunity to meet so many of you, that really started my trajectory. We are going to paint some very clear differences in this general election, she said uh, earlier in our talk, and this is the thing that we are going to take back, and it started right here, and all of you are folks this wonderful network. So see, guys, you know, they're killing us. You know, the Koch brothers are destroying us. Uh, us, meaning union people and uh, liberal-minded uh, normal people, right? <laughs> you know, uh, Koch brothers plan to raise almost $300 million target energy. The uh, Daily Beast reported that the Koch brothers who made billions in the oil industry and our major Republican donors are seeking to raise hundreds of millions of conservative Republicans uh, uh, in the 2014 uh, midterm election. And uh, why you you want to? Uh, I have something to read here. The grass is yeah. green, and this is interesting. Yeah, you go ahead. I'm going to try Larry. Again. News last month showed that the eurozone countries had a bad second quarter of economic growth. For the three-month period that ended in June, the Eurozone economies grew at 0.0%. economy in that group shrank by... In Italy, the third largest fell back into recession. There was much celebration that Germany's work-sharing scheme... ...job losses experienced in the U.S. Germany accommodation by the European Central Bank to the It should be a real lesson that austerity is not a better prescription than the U.S. So, you know, I thought Germany was and I was surprised to read that. 
not the uh, voicemail of Larry Dorman, Council for Public Affairs. Please leave your name, number, and a brief message, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. If we compared Europe to the At the US. tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Yeah, hi, Larry. We're still waiting for you. Uh, 646-915-9505. Thanks. Sorry. Um, so, but if we compared Europe with the United States, some may view the 4.2% growth as a sign this country is roaring, but we're really not, because that should be tempered against the 2.1% shrinkage of the first quarter. It means so far this year the U.S. is growing well below the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank growth target. At Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming last week, several of the federal regional bank presidents, Chair Janet Yellen and Vice Chair Stanley Fisher of the Board of Governors and high-ranking central bankers from Japan, Brazil, and the U.K., convened to discuss the very fine points of whether the labor market is tight enough to exert inflationary pressures on the economy. While Mario Draghi, president of the ECB, painted a grass is greener picture of the U.S. labor market, his cautious tone suggesting it may be time for the ECB to be more aggressive echoed the standard view of many that central bankers really don't understand the precarious position of working people. To that end, a group of workers organized by the Center for Popular Democracy also convened at the Jackson Hole Economic Policy Symposium to put names and faces to the more sterile unemployment numbers and esoteric discussion of whether long-term unemployed workers are the cause of a weak labor pressure on wages. In her remarks, Yellen the more aggressive stance U.S. monetary policy has taken. She did appear, however, to waver on how weak the U.S. labor market is. Since the gathering in Wyoming was about to hear research on the subject, perhaps she wanted to offer a balanced stance to encourage engagement of the regional bank presidents in the dialogue. In the face of continued moderate price inflation, Despite the continued expansion of the labor market, hawkish economists have new explanations to tout why inflation is just around the corner. One novel idea is that firms have a hard time cutting the wages of existing workers and so are now engaged in pent-up wage deflation, gaining a return to targeted profits by suppressing wage growth. Under this theory, at any moment, the current unemployment rates will pressure firms to escalate wage growth. Okay. Another is that because the long-term unemployed are viewed as undesirable by firms, <coughs> firms react only to short-term unemployed and are willing to bid up wages to hire them and do not hold over workers the presence of large numbers of jobless people who might take the job for less. All this to maintain a theory that unemployment and inflation are strongly related, and unemployment cannot continue to fall without costing the economy with higher rates of inflation. Well, that's true. But when there is uncertainty, the best way to look at the cost of the relative risks in the economy... Oh, excuse me. 
But when there is uncertainty, the best way may be to look at the cost of the relative risks in the economy. Sorry about that, folks. Right now, the automobile market, a key ingredient in U.S. resurgence, is fueled by loans to people with, with guard credit records. The debt is sustainable as long as those workers can keep their jobs and keep making payments. So, so the cost of raising interest rates and making those loans more costly is the threat of recessions growing, flooding the auto market with thousands of used cars and plunging demand for new automobiles and jobs. That's a big downside risk, since new auto sales also generate tax revenues for state and local governments, the weakest segment of the recovery. Add to that, it's taken us five years to get to this point of recovery, and the downside risk looks very high. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're not, certainly not roaring along, but we're not in the position that Europe is in either. And they, they really put some uh, real austerity programs into place. And that has not helped their economy at all. It's um, no, actually Britain is Britain is in bad bad shape. Oh, they've done terrible things to their people. You know, even now in Britain, uh, they've even established in some areas a Sharia law for for the Islamic and the Islamic communities. You've got to be kidding! Yeah, Sharia court. I just I read that. It's amazing what's going on over there. Um, I was gonna, uh, we were still, still heard from Larry. You must have gotten in trouble or something happened. Um, right Do you have a cell phone, phone number? That's what I've been Oh, that's about. what you're calling on? That's what he told me to call him on. Oh, okay. So, um, he, uh, well, maybe he'll call us in. Maybe something happened. I'm sure something came something up. Something came up. Uh, I mean, because that's not like him. So we'll just continue on. Yeah. And he maybe had something that was unforeseeable. Then, you know, when you're in uh, public, public affairs, bad. And uh, he, he goes to a lot of meetings and protests, yeah. and he organizes a lot of things. I mean, it's not the kind of job that's uh, like a formula. He gets all kinds of things that come up in that job that he I'm has to ask, deal with. Uh, I'm going to ask people if you're if you are on my um, if you're a, a Facebook friend of mine here listening, uh, please go to this uh, article on the Koch brothers. It's by Nation of Change. Uh, under politics, and a uh, very, very, very good article. It's a long article, but it's one that, that kind of explains the power and influence that these two guys have, Koch brothers, and how they are shaping uh, politically the, uh, the political uh, landscape, okay, with the Tea Partiers, and they're actually, uh, one of them is the chairman of the John Birch Society, and uh, so we got a lot of a lot of problems here, and uh, you know it's something oh. that you should check into. This is interesting. Yeah, this is one aspect of the uh, health insurance act that I didn't know about. Thanks to Obamacare, health insurance company executives are no longer receiving taxpayer giveaways for exorbitant pay. Let me read a little more about that.
runaway executive pay at health insurance companies will, not, will, will no longer be subsidized by taxpayers, thanks to a little-known provision in, in the Affordable Care Act, more commonly known as Obamacare. The provision, which lowered the tax break for executive pay to 500000 for health insurance, yielded the federal government about $72 million in additional revenue in 2013. According to a new report by the Institute of Policy Studies, the Obamacare prescription for bloated CEO pay, the IPS report notes that $72 million in additional revenue to the U.S. Treasury in the first year it was in effect was based on the pay of 57 executives at the 10 largest health insurance companies. The additional revenue taken in by the government in 2013 from the lower taxpayer subsidy of executive pay at health insurers could be considerably higher when the pay of other executives at all health insurers is taken into account. Under current law, the deduction for executive pay at publicly traded companies is capped at $1 million, but a loophole in the law allows companies to deduct executive pay in excess of $1 million so long as it is performance-based. The provision in the Affordable Care Act lowers the tax break to $500,000 for health insurers and eliminates the exemption for performance-based pay above the cap. Moreover, the provision applies to the pay for, of all employees at health insurers, not just executives. The U.S. government could collect an additional $50 billion in taxes over 10 years, if Congress extended the lower tax break for executive pay to all companies, Obamacare offers a re remedy for health and healthier executive pay system, um, says Sarah Anderson, the director of Global Economical Economy Project and the lead author of the report. Now all corporations should get the same medicine. United Healthcare Group Incorporated, the nation's largest health insurer, which paid its executives more than any other insurer, also was hit the hardest by the provision of the Affordable Care Act. The IPS calculated that United Health tax bill went up by $13 million in 2013. $13 million it went up. WellPoint, another of the nation's largest insurers, openly skirted the lower caps on executive pay in Obamacare by speeding up the ability of executives to cash in stock awards in December 2012 instead of 2013. This maneuver lowered the company's tax, tax bill more than $1.5 million. But they're going to have to pay next year or this year. Well, they're going to pay. So let's see. Civil disobedience is expected in the fast food pay fight. Uh, New York, uh, this is by... Uh, New York uh, Associated Press. Uh, McDonald's, Wendy's, and other fast food uh, restaurants are expected to be targeted with acts of civil disobedience that could lead to arrests Thursday as labor organizers escalate their campaign to unionize the industry workers. Um, Kendall Fell, an organizing director for Fast Food Forward, said workers in a couple of dozen cities were trained to uh, peacefully engage in civil disobedience ahead of this uh, week's planned protest. Fell declined to say 
what exactly is in store for the protest in around 150 U.S. cities. But workers involved in the movement recently cited sit-ins as an example of strategies they could use to intensify their push for higher pay and unionization. Past protests have targeted a couple of restaurants in each city for a limited time and in many cases posing little disruption to operations. A spokesman for a service uh, employees international union, which has been spearheading the protests, said home health care aides will join the actions in some locations. The Fight for $15 campaign um, has gained national attention at a time when growing income disparities have become a hot political issue. President Barack Obama renewed his push for Congress to raise the minimum wage at a Labor Day appearance in Milwaukee. Many fast food workers do not make much more than the minimum federal wage of $7.25 an hour. That equates to about 15000 a year for 40 hours a week. But um, workers are often subject to unpredictable schedules and don't know how many hours they'll be given from week to week since restaurants are careful to avoid paying overtime. The fast food campaign is designed to bring attention to uh, such hardships which few customers think about when buying burgers and fries, said Catherine Frist, uh, a professor of um, labor law at the University of California in Irvine. Uh, over time, she said, that could help change the mindset about fast food jobs, which have historically been seen as difficult to unionize. The goal is to persuade workers that it doesn't have to be this way. The goal is to persuade customers um, that it doesn't have to uh, be this way, she said. This is about getting attention to the issue. Fisk noted that mining and manufacturing jobs were also once considered low-wage jobs with dim prospects. That changed in the 1930s. However, after legal protections for unionizing and actions by fed-up workers helped transform the jobs into more middle-class professions. The, the government, uh, the, I'm sorry, the National Restaurant Association said in a statement that the fast food protests are attempts by unions to boost their dwindling memberships. But the industry lobbying group said it hopes uh, organizers will be respectful to customers and workers during the protest this week. And so far the campaign and a similar effort on behalf of Walmart workers have been effectively handled by Berlin Rosen, a uh, public relations firm known for its political work. Since the protest began in late 2012, organizers have kept the issue in the spotlight by switching up their tactics every few months. <clears throat> the trumpeted, they trumpeted the spread of protests around the country and then overseas, for instance. Although turnout, turnout has been fairly minimal in some places, organizers are also pushing to bring attention to the issue of wage theft, which as the denial of overtime pay and rest breaks. Uh, several lawsuits, um, sorry, several lawsuits alleging wage theft by McDonald's and its franchisees have been filed in three states on behalf of workers who were referred by labor organizers. The McDonald's Corporation has said it would investigate the claims. In the meantime, actions by labor organizers are likely to continue with the SEIU pouring millions of dollars into the effort. Well, good luck, folks. I hope that works for you. You know. Okay. Yeah, really good. The, they've had some response. The, the blog has had some responses to this. They asked, 
Uh, how raising the minimum wage would affect you and the people you know? They've had a huge response from the AFL-CIO mobile supporters, and here's a sample of what people have said. Um, and you can tell your own story by texting LABOR to 235246, and you can say what you want to say. But here are some things that people have said if the minimum wage is raised. I can finally get our food stamps and heat and energy assistance. I work four plus hours a week and I have 10 plus years experience. A world of difference would be in my life. I myself, if the minimum wage would be raised, I would not have to live in an abusive relationship. I don't make enough money to be able to get out on my own. Another person said, yes, I would be affected personally by the minimum wage increase. Increasing the minimum wage would allow me to get back to school and continue my education. Another responded, yes, my son would be affected. He's a single dad and works 40 hours a week, but still struggles to provide a home and pay his bills. His quality of life would improve. Um, um, our mother said, my daughter is a waitress. She's also a single mom. She has a really hard time making ends meet. The minimum wage for Tipped workers is shameful. An, uh, a, college a college graduate reported, even as a college graduate, I am often stuck in sorry low-wage jobs, barely making $8 an hour, and that offer at best irregular part-time hours and no benefits, so yes, she would benefit. Another reported, I have dozens of friends that would be able to pay their bills and invest in the future of their families, if the minimum wage started to become a living wage, that'd be wonderful. Another responded, as a landlord, it would be it would benefit my tenants, myself and surrounding businesses. My tenants that currently struggle to pay rent, a pay raise would help them. Another yes, that would be great. My children who are also parents are trying to make ends meet. My son was a vet. My daughter is currently enrolled in school. Another reported, I live in the Bronx where the politicians tell everyone employment is getting better, but all I see is Wall Street and the bankers doing well. And another reported, everyone who works for hourly or any wages will benefit from the boost the economy gets when low-wage workers have more to spend. So Another reported, it would help my two brothers greatly. They are both security guards, and they only make $7.20 an hour to protect someone's property. Is that all it's worth to them? That's a good question. So do you have something else there, Leo? Oh, yeah. Teach your children about tax. Eat 30% of their ice cream. <laughs> That's mean. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. But um, yes, go ahead. Not too long to those. Future must not be long. Oh, interesting. Um, 
I don't really know what else to say here. I'm going to go to a quick uh, music break, and uh, we'll be back right after that with some more news. News and things, I guess. that a good idea, Lila? Sure, go ahead. Let's do that. Anyway, we don't 
don't we don't we don't blame Wall Street, do we, Lila? Sure. Oh, some poor black guy is, hasn't eaten in a, in a week. Yeah, you know, Wall Street. No, they can rape you and destroy your economy and kill you and cause wars and do everything. But uh, oh, hey, we get uh, actually we get. Uh, is Larry there? Larry on, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll hold up on this. Hi, Larry. Are you with us? I am. I, my deepest apologies. I uh, finally got out of a union meeting that went way too long and was uh, a little bit difficult. I couldn't extricate myself, so my apologies. Oh, that's quite all right. We figured that something had happened, and we I thought... I just hope you weren't in an accident. <laughs> there. That's all. Thank you. We no. It was <laughs> business, and we... <laughs> no, just in a heated meeting. So, yeah, uh, you're out and about oh all boy. the time, all through the state. Oh boy, how are you guys doing? Uh, we're we're doing okay. We were we've been um, thinking about the election coming up between uh, Malloy and Foley because there's some ads on on uh, TV, of course. I, I can't I can't believe we got to go through two more months of this of those same ads. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I knew you, know, you were going to say that. One more time, I got I'm going to scream. You know. Leo yeah. has already burned out on uh, on oh, the uh, yeah, on, on television. Oh my God! But uh, I think I think one of the things that that we all have to be concerned about here in Connecticut is that um, uh, Connecticut was left in a in a very bad state due to uh, Republican governors and Republican policies. And, and, and I can't and imagine I, I, that that uh, Republicans that think think that um, the very party that caused the pro- a lot of the problems that we have here now think they're going to fix them. I I can't imagine they think they're going to convince the voters of that, and I certainly hope they don't. Well, yeah, I was kind of I was kind of happy. A long-term a Republican governor uh, headed for jail again. Possibly. Well, no, he's headed to court. <laughs> but we can only hope. We can only hope that that's the case. Um, you know, here's the thing, though, Lila and Leah, and I, I you know, agree with you first off, but uh, look at what's happening in terms of the national debate. Uh, whatever you think of Obama and, his, and the difficulties he's had and the Democrats have had in Congress, it's, it's alarming to think that people would possibly contemplate voting Republican to fix the country when when that party got us into the disastrous quagmire that is the Middle East. Uh, you know they were the they were the party of deregulation uh, from Reagan on. We had the Bush tax cuts. Uh, yep. We had the Iraq War in Afghanistan. So I mean, you know, you you express some shock and some. Uh, concern that people could do that in Connecticut and vote to turn it back over to the Republicans, but that's very well what could happen. That's the debate that's happening nationally. So unfortunately, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I I, I don't know whether people have short memories or they just really don't understand it happened, or they, again, fall for that, oh, we're going to cut your taxes, when there's no way they can possibly do that. I'm also wondering, you know, and again, I have no sort of science behind this, just a hunch, but, I, you know, I do see the low 
voter turnout numbers in Connecticut and, and nationally. And Connecticut's a better, uh, higher-performing state, I should say. It tends to be than many other states. Um, you know, one of the exceptions, certainly in terms of middle and working-class people, you know, union members and their families turn out to vote. But, you know, I think we have a, 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 an elect, a population of voters who feel, you know, disengaged, disenfranchised, you know, whatever whatever word you want to use, disengaged. Um, so it's, um, you know, you kind of end up with what you get. And when most of the people, when half or better, aren't even bothering to vote, um, you know, it's the rich and the powerful who are going to end up sending their folks back to Congress or to the Connecticut legislature. So I think that whole uh, challenge of engaging voters, particularly younger people, to vote is it's a big part of the problem. But yeah. the, pro- the problem is, is that is that you can't get um, you can't get a decent candidate up there, you know, unless unless you put uh, millions yeah. of dollars behind them. And, uh, that is a, you're hard. absolutely right, and you know, and, and I think it all you know it all ties in together as kind of a chicken and an egg thing. You know, the the system is a wash weight uh, with bad corporate money and wealthy special interest money uh, voters. Uh, so that the, their representatives end up dominating the political debate, and then uh, it has a, it has the effect of discouraging people from voting or feeling like their vote matters. So you know, you make a good point on that too. Um, well, I can't vote out of the system. Yeah, here's you know, a perfect the vote example. Out. I mean, I didn't like Chris Murphy to begin with. Never did. Never liked the man. But you know, people people voted him in. All right, and what do you got? You got an idiot who's out there trying to raise, trying to raise uh, gas taxes on Connecticut gas, Connecticut citizens. All right, and and he wants to go to war with uh, with uh, in Iraq again. I mean, what is it with this guy? All right, does he make any sense at all, uh, Larry? I don't I don't understand where he's coming from. Never did. Chris Murphy. Yeah. yeah Chris oh, Murphy. I, yeah. I mean, I, here's the thing. I mean, he has been. Uh, he's certainly been very good on our issues, on labor issues, um, but you know it's hard to find you know the uh, the Bernie Sanders or you know the late Paul Wellstones of the world, uh, folks who um, are guided 100% by um, uh, a belief that this country can't accomplish anything until it takes care of its uh, middle and working class. Well, see now, now Bernie Sanders is planning to run. He, he's got some. Uh, uh, idea of running for president, okay, which uh, uh, I, I've seen a few of his uh, 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 feelers, you know, that he put out there. But I, I, the guy doesn't have the guy doesn't have a chance, no. you know. Plus he's oh, not, I wasn't suggesting I wasn't suggesting he did. I'm just pointing out that for someone who at least has, you know, some sense of um, what's really going wrong in this country and is willing to talk about it. Oh yeah, I mean he can call, he can talk all he wants, and he's and he's talking, but uh, you know he's not really getting the message out. Nobody's really covering his message uh, in the mainstream mm-hmm. media. Well, that's what happens. Typical, but you know the minute the minute you get a strong candidate who comes out and says things like they are, you know they knock him down and they put him out and they and they they silence him. You know. Well, that money mm-hmm. from the, the other side is so powerful. But on but on a positive note, um, uh, Blumenthal is working to do something about um, 
the electric company, and I'm not who wants to have a, a huge yeah, rate what, increase. What's going to happen there? And I wondered if um, you were aware of anything going on there, any movement, any positive movement in the direction of the consumer. Um, I know they've had some my, hearings, but I haven't heard much yeah. after. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I I haven't seen I haven't seen it happen. I, and, you're, and you're right, the senator has been speaking and, and raising the issue. He's a you know he's he's a fairly lonely voice uh, in the world. Yeah, you know what surprised me? I mean, he's he's our representative to the federal government. I'd like to know where the voices are in the state. Yeah, you haven't had any voices supporting him in the state. Nobody else has come out. He kind of went out and talked about it, but that right. was it. Right, part of yeah, and and you know, and part of the problem is that the utility companies were deregulated under Roland. Uh, yep. they have um, a tremendous amount of clout at the state capitol. Uh, they uh, their, their clout is shared with both parties, and yep. so I think you again, you know, you, you get what you pay for. Or, and you know we got electrical deregulation, utility deregulation. Uh, it was the bill was uh, the legislation was written completely, uh, pretty much completely by the companies themselves. Really? So are we are we surprised that uh, almost 20 years later, uh, this is where we hit, more than 20 years later? I think that legislation went through in '99. Uh, so um, I, I do give Senator Blumenthal credit for raising the issue. And, and I do fighting too. the fight. But he's a very lonely voice out there. I'd like to yep. see some others jump behind him, but you know, doesn't seem to be yeah, anybody. The funny thing, the funny thing is, it just you know, to actually be a, a take a genuine populist position, position to me would make so much sense. I, I think you pull people from all all the political spectrums if you really did that. You could unite um, folks. On the far right, on the far left, folks in the middle, um, because everybody feels the the pain of of, of this economic insecurity um, that, that defines our age and our time, I should say. And you know, it's 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 pretty amazing, and, and it shows you again uh, how powerful the corporate and wealthy special interests are. That um, there really aren't too many uh, people pushing a populist agenda. That's right. You know, I look I look around uh, the town that I work in. It's 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 not a wealthy town by any means, but you know, property taxes have soared there. Um, and you drive around the town, and I see all these houses for sale because people can't afford to live there anymore. They right. can't afford taxes. I mean, this is a working class town, and it's really, really sad to see what's happening to it. And the people that are buying the houses, they don't have any kids. You know, it's, you know, either retired people that see a pretty good deal in a house or people who, to, you know, two people who have pretty good jobs can afford to buy the house and pay the taxes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very sad, I think. I mean, and I look around at Connecticut, are all the young people going to, Flee from this state. You know, you see, you see the um, the data that's been collected, and a huge percentage of people said they would leave if they could. 
I think that's really I, sad. You know, I, and I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I mean, look, first of all, I, you know, I've certainly, you know, I've seen the same stuff. And the only thing is when it comes to the, uh, there, there's one poll that's been getting a lot of media attention and it's triggered all these editorials and editorial responses and letters to the editor um, about, but, you know, the fact is people aren't leaving and, um, you know, there are some good things happening in the state. I, I think the problem, uh, Connecticut Voices for Children just released a study, uh, CCAG did a report, um, I think last week, in fact, saying that the living wage in Connecticut, if it were going to truly um, lift someone out of poverty, um, would be about, should be about $19, $20 an hour for a single person and close to 40 for a family. Um, yep. So, you know, wages in Connecticut, as they are across the country, are not um, keeping up. Um, good jobs are not being created. And, you know, that's not the fault of Governor Malloy or President Obama. No. <clears throat> that's just, you know, the mess that um, both of those uh, um, chief elected officials have, have, in, have encountered. And mayors and first selectmen are encountering it, too, because the Connecticut doesn't tax people fairly, and the result is that um, cities and towns like yours have less money to work with to fund services. <clears throat> you know, we're over. We we have we are overly reliant on the property tax. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, do you think that there is any possibility that there'll be some movement toward um, uh, more fairly taxing those that earn the most in the state? In the state, or do you um, think that? That's a tough slog. It really is a tough slog. Uh, You know, I will say that our our union and others have been uh, talking about this for years. Uh, We're part of a coalition that's pushing for this called Better Choices Connecticut. So, you know, we're certainly going to raise our voices about it. The fact is that um, it's a really good deal for rich folks to live in Connecticut. You know, the tax on capital gains and dividends was reduced dramatically when the income tax came into being. Um, You know, and this is a state that now essentially, being a little bit overly simplified, but uh, this is a state that taxes labor and not wealth, and that's a big part of the problem. Um, And the Republicans going back to Reagan and, you know, even Nixon, they've been smart about demonizing taxes. So, you know, it's it's not an easy uh, push to get politicians to uh, do what's right and what's honest. It's funny. They, they've changed. Um, instead of presenting taxes as something that's patriotic, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's part yep. of giving back for what's been given to you, the opportunities that you've had because, of what people have done for you in this country to make it possible to earn a better living and to have that bigger house. You know, that you it's patriotic for you to give back. It's part it's part but, of but the American but, but, but the problem the major problem that I have with it is that is that um, where are your taxes going? You know? When oh. you when you see when you see that half of the federal budget, over half, is going to the military. All right. Uh, or to, or to uh, you know, military contractors. It really, really kind of, kind of ticks you off, and then you find out that, uh, you know, even more than that, and then the rest of uh, so much, so much more is going to uh, 
subsidized corporations, okay, uh, uh, you know, and farm subsidies and so on and so forth, uh, where they cut food stamps uh, and uh, and and uh, WIC checks and everything else, but yet they uh, they keep uh, you know uh, fifty or sixty billion dollars worth of uh, worth of uh, farm uh, subsidies. Uh, to these mega corporations. Yeah, it's not to right. the little. It's not to the little farmer. It's yeah, to yeah, something yeah, like yeah, Beatrice Foods. Yeah, exactly. Like General Mills. General you know? Mills. Yeah. So it's like it's like this is the kind of thing that you're seeing our taxes are going to, and you're saying, well, crying out loud, uh, you know, all the corporations are paying, uh, uh, and these corporations now are trying to leave the state, leave the country rather. Walgreens and right, because we've legislated, we've made it easier for them and more desirable for them to essentially be, you know, unpatriotic and to um, dodge sure. paying taxes. Yeah, if, they yeah. just, if they just came down and said, you know, you pay your taxes, if you're going to do business with us or in this country, you pay these taxes, all right? And there's right. no way to get out of it. But, uh, you right. know, it's on the government, so it's like, you know, they own us. And that's, that's basically the way it is. It is a big part of the problem. I mean, when you look, you know, the problem, and, and Lyle, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was the Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes said something to the effect that, you know, the taxes are the price we pay for having, you know, a civilized society. And, and I absolutely I believe that. The problem is is that you and I and Leo are paying a disproportionate share of taxes relative to, uh, the ultra wealthy and relative to corporations that uh, um, many large corporations like GE uh, pay nothing at all in terms of state corporate income tax, while the you know the little appliance store in Killingly um, is is paying dearly. So yeah. you know that's why we we were pushing legislation uh, again with with other unions and uh, community groups to uh, essentially penalize, force big companies, big employers like Walmart um, to pay a penalty back to the taxpayers of Connecticut um, if they paid low wages and forced their uh, workers onto taxpayer subsidized programs like Husky. Uh, you know, we need to reconfigure and, and um, just completely alter the way we go about uh, collecting revenue and it starts by making the tax system and the tax structure fair because yeah you're right this is it's blatantly unfair we're all carrying the burden while the uh, big companies and then the wealthy get off the hook yeah and that brings us back to your town where um, property taxes are skyrocketing um, and services are being cut and school programs are being eliminated and recreational programs are being eliminated and you know this is happening in cities and towns all over Connecticut you know and there's nothing left to in many cases there's nothing left to cut and then what then what's going to happen right, right. And, you know? and you know because people aren't paying their fair share in taxes money's not going back for health care for education uh, for recreation um, you know all the programs we had growing up that uh, you know, kept us off the streets and kept us focused on doing good things in life. Yeah. So, is there any? Uh, did you have any uh, any major Labor Day pushes or anything that this uh, this? We had a couple there. Um, you know, they had a big parade up in Newtown, um, which was fun. We had a kickoff. The AFL-CIO had a kickoff uh, Labor Day kickoff breakfast Friday. Uh, the governor uh, came and, and spoke and. 
Uh, that was wonderful. And I think that, you know, I, I do think looking at the news clippings and seeing how, uh, what the coverage was like, even as and three of us, I think, agree that the mainstream media is pretty crappy for everything. But, um, yep. you know, I, I, I took a little bit of uh, hope out of the fact that a lot of Labor Day coverage was about falling wages and uh, about the wage and wealth gap and um, so, and the role of, of unions in trying to uh, ease the problems of that gap. So, um, I think, you know, I think you know, the unions are at least are using, if they can't marshal the old Labor Day parades, at least they're using um, Labor Day to say some things are fundamentally wrong with this country. And uh, I think a lot of folks are agreeing with us. What was what was uh, Daniel Malloy's focus of his speech at the breakfast? He was uh, terrific. Uh, he basically said that um, when you're voting, when you get out there and votes, um, you know you got to vote for uh, people who want to protect uh, your pay and your benefits and protect the middle class. And Tom Foley um, is not a guy, guys like Foley are not going to do that. And I think the gist of his message was to, you know, make sure, you you know, if nothing else, you know, vote in your interest, vote to protect uh, your middle class um, way of life because it's really under threat. He talked about what Christie's doing in New Jersey, what Walker did in Wisconsin, and uh, all across the country, and the governor is right, all across the country you've got, uh, governors and legislatures taking away um, rights from um, working people and cutting programs that are uh, vital to the safety net and cutting education, cutting health care, and uh, taking away collective bargaining rights um, and you know not funding their pensions and not making a commitment to uh, jobs and the construction jobs in the private sector. So Malloy did talk about some of the things he's accomplished and uh, I think that uh, people were responsive. You know, it's not that we think he's perfect. He's not. No candidate is perfect. Uh, but we do not want to see what uh, Tom Foley called the Wisconsin moment in Connecticut. No, oh, I'm terrified of that guy. What did you think of the, yeah. uh, the, the did governor you, debate? Did you see it? Did you yeah, see I, that? Thought, uh, I did, and I, I thought Malloy did very well. Um, yeah, and, I, I, I thought, mean, they, uh, uh, Tom did, Malloy. Did you yeah, yeah, Tom Malloy. That, that'll, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, don't forget, he's a prosecutor, and he kind of, he try if the debate forum allows it, he'll kind of build his case and then sock it to his opponent. Uh, he is aggressive, and he's not afraid to push back. So that's, so I thought it made, I thought it was one of the better debates they've had during in recent gubernatorial yeah, debates. I thought, uh, I, like the I, format. I was kind of surprised. <laughs> you know, the one thing that, I didn't realize that Foley, uh, served in in Iraq. Uh, well, yes, he was. A we point. need to get was he when he was a yeah Bush. Yeah, he's a buddy of Bush. I'll, have you seen the Solicitor General's report, the Inspector General's report, rather? Uh-huh. Um, I I need to. I'll, I'll email that to you or pop me a reminder if you don't get it. We should talk about it. At, you know, next month's show, or you should talk about it ahead of it because. Um, the the Iraq Oversight Project is considered, you know, the single largest waste of taxpayer dollars ever. Uh, much of it lost to corruption, and you know, this was all under Foley's watch uh, because yeah, his buddy really. Bush appointed him. 
Yep. I'll get you, I'll email you a copy of that report. I mean, so for Foley to say he's going to be uh, a responsible steward of, of Connecticut taxpayers is just you know, pure folly, and it's a lie. You look at what he did in Iraq, and he, he's scary because he just says, I served my country, and, you know, he, 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 puts it, he, he makes it seem like he put on a uniform and was uh, rushing headlong into the uh, terrorist cells. And uh, it's, a, it's a shameful episode. I think it would be a good line for Malloy to use against them, you know. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't. Uh, maybe the Democrats will, you know, if they're smart, they ought to. They ought to use that. Uh, it's it's a, it's a, it's a detailed report, and it shows all the graft and corruption that went with outside contracting, uh, which hurt the efforts of uh, soldiers who were sent there. And, you know, I think it really uh, deconstructs this idea that Foley somehow is a sensible businessman who's, you know, going to get the state on even footing. That's, that's a joke. Well, you know, we know what I, I found amusing when um, Malloy uh, had done his homework. You know, he, he knew all of his business things that were, right. that were not accurate in his acquisitions, how much money he made, how many people he laid off. And Foley's response was, well, you have nothing better to do than to look into my businesses or something like that. And right, that's he, how he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, uh, you know, that's what you do when you're running against someone. You do your homework, right? You do the right. data collecting. He's a smart guy. I thought, gee, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I would do. Right, and, and the fact is he doesn't have a great record, and he doesn't like the fact that that's being um, brought into the forefront. He went to the factory up in uh, eastern Connecticut, Fusion, and it was just an absolute disaster. He basically told the workers it was their fault. The company was, was closing. Oh, my God. I mean, what, what, what was he trying to, to prove, you know, with that? You know what I mean? What was he <laughs> I mean... Just to show you that sometimes the press is just an idiot. Yeah, they are. God. You know, yeah. one of the, one of the reporters said, you know, Foley got out of a you know the back seat of a blue BMW sedan, uh, sedan. <laughs> SUV rather. I thought that was right. great. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, he's, he's really tone deaf and, and he's blind to what's going on in this state. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what makes is, him yeah. think. I don't know what makes him think that that he can be governor. I mean, really? Because, because of all all of his all of his ads uh, were up until lately. All the ads for the primary and stuff were all what a great guy he is. Gee, Foley's mm-hmm. a great guy. You know, you don't even, they don't say who these people are. They just you know some guys say yeah, Tom's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, and then my mother said yeah, gee, he looked like his father and his mother and his sister and his brother there. You know what I mean? Right. That, People still buy into it, so I guess the ads are working, which is kind of sad. I so, but I thought it was rather weak. Are the Koch brothers supporting his campaign, do you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, I would be, you know, we haven't seen. It's hard to get hold of that stuff, um, but when the quarterly, when the, when the reports go out, I'm sure we'll see that. They're, 
they have a lot of front groups, so-called astroturf groups, and uh, that money, I would be shocked to find out if that money wasn't going into the Malloy campaign. That would be the only shock. Yeah. I mean, into the Foley campaign, I apologize. Yeah. Well, Larry, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on. I know well, I place. apologize. Yep, I, my, you know, I, whenever you call me ahead of time, I, you know, I, I think I'm going to be able to do it, and uh, I got away late tonight. <laughs> but it was good to uh, it was good to share some time with you guys, and um, we'll be in touch, and I'll get you that Iraq uh, report. Well, look forward to that, and then we then we can good. talk about that because I think uh, Malloy yeah. ought to use more of that. I, really I do too. Yeah, okay. Too. Well, Great. thanks so Talk much for calling, and uh, and we'll be uh, we'll Thank be talking. Thank you for having me. All Go right. Ahead. Thanks, Larry. Take care, guys. Good night. See you. Bye. And uh, we want to thank uh, Larry Dorman from uh, Council Four Aspen Union for uh, for joining us tonight, and uh, we are looking forward to talking with you tomorrow night when I have uh, Maria Fixel on with Transdimensional Radio, and uh, we will be uh, we thank for thank you for joining. And uh, good night, everybody. Yeah, good night, folks. Enjoy the rest of your day.